Blog Talk Radio. This is Cale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's Buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon, and I am live on a Saturday night. I haven't done one of these live in quite a while, so this is a little exciting for me. It is October 30th, 2010. It's 9 p.m. in the east, 6 p.m. out west, 8 p.m. here in Texas, and like I said, I am live, and I'm live with a great guy. There's no one I'd rather be live with, let me put it that way. Uh, If you want to call in and and join the conversation, the number is 347-202-0799. By all means, call in and uh, get in line on the switchboard here. We're going to have quite a conversation. And like I said, there's no guy I'd rather be here with. You know, my guest tonight has become a great pal of mine over the past couple of years, and I'm thrilled to be welcoming back to Brandon's Buzz tonight. He is an accomplished author, a licensed therapist, and, oh, by the way, on the side, he's also a major contributor to the fabulous website We Love Soaps, where he turns in one knockout feature after another as the, as the site's chief interviewer. He's gearing up for his third annual Give Up Your Shoulds Day, and he's come back to the buzz to give us an exclusive sneak peek at the entire celebration. He's funny, he's feisty, he's the fabulous Damon L. Jacobs. Brandon, <laughs> I love those intros. You, I mean, it's just like I'm going to play that every night before I go to sleep so I feel good about myself. That's just beautiful. Thank you. It's so lovely. You know, I like uh, feisty. That's that's <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, having done this racket for almost two years now, I've been fortunate enough to speak with some of my favorite people ever on this show, and so I don't really get jealous or envious of other people who do this, you know, but I've got to tell you, I read your stuff sometimes, and I mean this in the best way possible, but I read your stuff sometimes, and I just see it, it's so good. I mean, that piece you did with, with Nicholas Koster about a month ago was brilliant. I am so honored to hear that. I, it's such an, you know, what's so cool about what I see you doing and what I'm able to do is to have our voice and, and to be able to express that in these interviews. And I think in these two years, we've both grown a lot. And, and no I mean, I, I listened to your interviews. The one you did with Linda Dano made me cry. And I was on the subway, for God's sake. <laughs> and here I am, like, tearing up. Um, it, it's it's amazing to me that people find my questions interesting. I feel very narcissistic at times because I'm asking things that I want to know. As, exactly, I feel as, the same way. Exactly, <laughs> right. These are just things that occur to me, you know, as a therapist and as someone who grew up watching soaps. And when I get to interview Nicholas Coster of all people, like Nicholas Coster <laughs> is taking an hour out of his life to talk to me. It's just so humbling, and and I feel so grateful, but still surprised that anyone wants to know the things that I'm interested in. You know, I feel the exact same way. And and like I said, I've talked to some of my favorite people ever on this show. And so, you know, it's just it's 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 really been an amazing experience and, and I'm happy that people like you have come along for the ride. 
Thank you. Thank you. So tell me about third annual Give Up Your Shoulds Day. First of all, for those who didn't catch the first show that we did together last year, refresh us about about uh, absolutely should listen about how this whole kind of life guiding philosophy of yours came to exist. Well, okay, aside from being a lifelong soap fan, I am also the author of a book titled Absolutely Shouldless, The Secret to Living the Stress-Free Life You Deserve. And what is a should? A should is any rigid or inflexible belief that we hold which causes us suffering. And, and you know, people joke and they kind of call me the should police or whatever. I'm not the should police. I really, you know, people can should all they want. But the problem that I see with shoulds as a as a human being and as a professional is when we carry rigid and flexible beliefs that are hurtful to us. And so often we do it without even realizing it. But if you've ever woken up in the morning and said, I should lose weight, I should look younger, I should be making more money, I should have more energy in the morning, I should have called my mother yesterday, I should be getting more done, there's too much to do. I mean, all these things that we often do to ourselves without even realizing it. And over time, these shoulds accumulate, and they can really weigh us down. And they actually can then prevent us from having the blissful, stress-free life we deserve. They can actually prevent us from making healthier choices. You know, and instead we just want to escape. I mean, who doesn't want to escape if you're constantly feeling anxious and unhappy? So I'm not here to tell anybody what they should say or what they shouldn't do. And people tell me, it's like, I really don't mean to come across as the should police. What I do is like, I know for myself. I have to be diligent about my thoughts. I have to have like a, a Buckingham guard post at my thoughts because I can should and get into a rut and get into really ang- anxious things more and just as much as anybody else. But I know that if I'm diligent and if I really pay attention to that and I question them and I challenge them as they come up, I can get through it really fast and get back to a more peaceful place. And when I'm in a peaceful place, I actually make better decisions about what to do and how to handle things. Tell me some of your weak spots. Tell me, uh, if you don't mind sharing, tell me where where you're vulnerable in, in that area. Well, okay, so I'm a New Yorker, and New York is really crowded, and... The thing about this is my worst should of all because people don't always move like on the sidewalk. The sidewalks are narrow. And sometimes I'm constantly running late for things and I'm often in a hurry and that's my own damn fault. But when people are not moving or when they're just standing in the sidewalk and, and they're not like standing in the middle of the sidewalk, you can't get by. I get serious shoulds about that. I get like, move the f- uh, this is a family show. Move, move out of my way, you know. It's just, and I notice, but, but what happens? What happens in that moment? My blood pressure goes up. The um, acids get deposited in my stomach. My shoulders get tight. I'm the one who pays the price for those shoulds, not the idiot that's in my way. They, they don't care. You know, they're doing their own thing. What, what matters is, like, I put myself, my spirit, my body through this whole ringer of terror and misery by shooting other people about moving off the sidewalk. So that's my shit about other people. And you know what? So something that's new for me is is another should that now I'm dealing with is I am a open and out gay man who is committing the gay sin of getting older. And I am approaching 40 soon. And I'm just noticing for the first time in my life, I'm just noticing how some of the conditioning, and I'll even go as far as to say brainwashing, that we often get as gay men has kind of come into my thoughts. And I don't take it seriously, but I notice it's like, wait, maybe I shouldn't have wrinkles. I shouldn't have so much gray hair. Um, 
you know, and, and I do that to myself. And I'm just, no, that's a new should. That's a new thing I need to work on. I need to catch that and say, wait a minute, come on, that's ridiculous. But, again, I'm just saying I'm not immune to shoulds. Absolutely. I'm not immune to having them about myself, about others. I just know I feel so much better when I challenge them and undo them. Does you that know, make sense? With, well, yeah, absolutely it does. And, you know, with all that's been going on lately in the world with, you know, the teenage suicides and, you know, oh. all the politically freighted madness, go, you know, going on right now, yeah. I get a sense from you that this notion is more important to you than, it, than it's ever been and that you feel a more urgent need than you ever have to get this message out there. I sure do, Brandon, and I'm so glad you said that. You know, what we're seeing now with the attention to the rampant and, I'd say, epidemic of gay suicides in the, that's being covered in the media is we're seeing shoulds kill, literally, when we put shoulds on ourselves. Because you cannot be suicidal and kill yourself without somewhere in your brain thinking, I should be different, or I should be straight, or I should be someone different who I am. I should be normal and I should change, but if I'm not normal and I'm not going to change, then I should be dead. And I talk about in my book having gone through that myself at a very young age, believing everything that I was told about who I should be and how I should be, and I internalized those messages and really thought I should be dead and came pretty wow. close to doing something about that when I was about 11. Um, so I relate to that, and I understand the mindset of suicide very well. I know that if we teach kids from an early age to challenge these shoulds, to say, wait a second, just because someone tells you you should be different, it doesn't mean it's true. That person has an agenda. That person's somehow benefiting from trying to hurt you. And you don't have to give them that power. And it's not just as easy as saying ignore them than not saying that. But I'm saying when we start to use our intellect and when we start to show kids, and kids know kids can do this really easily, sometimes easier than adults, if we start to explain you don't have to buy into these shoulds, you can change them. You don't have to believe in the concept of normal. I've always said if people gave up the word should and people gave up the word normal, I'd be out of a job. And I'd be really happy to be out of a job for that reason. That's okay. I'd do something else. I could, you know, do anything else. Um, but when we hold on to these shoulds and when we hold on to normal, it hurts us. And we're seeing with the gay suicides that it kills. Shoulds kill. It doesn't have to be this way. And I'd really like to see people start to pay attention and have more sophisticated ways of, of empowering children and empowering recipients of bullies, which is not just children. You know, I, 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 I have been kind of critical of the It's Get Better it gets better campaign. Not that it's bad. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I don't think it's anything wrong. But I don't think it's necessarily sufficient. And it doesn't really arm children with the tools to manage their lives. Because a lot of times it doesn't get better. Or it gets better, but you still deal with bullies. You still deal with homophobia. You still deal with bullies. You know, I see on the Internet Sorry, and you I, see you, it you on a lot of these. You can be 80 and bullied. that what? You can be 80 and be bullied. Yeah, I mean, look at the look at some of these boards for the soap fans. Come on, you know, and I know there's a lot of these boards where there's a lot of bullying that goes on. So, I mean, the whole point is like, even as adults, we're going to have to learn how to deal with hatred and criticism and and meanness. So let's start paying attention now to the shoulds that we tell ourselves, which then inform us I should take some sort of drastic action to hurt myself because other people think that I'm not good enough how I am doesn't have to be that way. 
So there's more urgency during this year's third annual Give Up Your Shoulds Day than there has been in the past. In the past, I've kind of just done this passive sort of fun thing on Facebook and kind of try to get people involved, and I'm doing that this year as well. But I feel like I wanted. To, I feel like it was called upon me to do more this year, which means talking to you, um, being more vocal in media outlets, and I'm also going to be giving a free workshop at the Gay Lesbian Center in Manhattan at 200, uh, 208 West 13th Street on Monday night at 8 o'clock. A free workshop to come in so people can actually start to learn ways to dismantle these oppressive shoulds. Um, things that are talked about in the book, things I talk about on my blog at shouldlist.com about ways that we can all start to pay more attention and learn how to challenge harmful shoulds when they are directed our way. Boy, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> and uh, tell me more about this workshop. Is it just for gay kids or is it for anybody who wants to come and, and you know, I, I mean, can it be for teachers or can it be for parents or can it be for anybody who wants to come and learn a little more about this specific topic? Anybody who wants to come to learn, it's not specific. I mean, it's certainly relevant to gay suicides and it's relevant to the bullying that we've been discussing, but it's not exclusively, I mean, shoulds are not exclusively a gay issue. Sure. Um, they're certainly not, but I'm kind of focusing on that right now because that is something that's disturbing me so much in the media. Uh, we had, there was one gay suicide a couple of weeks ago that really hit home because it was someone here in Manhattan who had been an activist, um, and one of my coworkers knew him, and it's wow. just... A young, wonderfully talented and charismatic African-American male who took his life um, and kind of left a suicide note on Facebook about it. And, you know, it, it's just there's so much to that. But it's like if why one of the reasons why I wanted to give a free workshop at the center specifically was to offer alternatives to people that are struggling. And even if people aren't struggling, I think, you know, a lot of times we just, we're not necessarily struggling with suicidal depression, but we're just kind of feeling, eh, you know, I'm in my routine. I, I don't really feel great about myself. Maybe I don't feel horrible about myself, but I don't really feel that great about myself either. Most of the time when we tell ourselves that we should change, there is a cash register ringing somewhere. Someone is going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Every time any one of us, male or female, straight or gay, any time we say, there's something wrong with me, I should change. I should buy a product. I should get Botox. I should buy new clothes, make my teeth whiter, whatever. There's billions of dollars invested in having oh, listen, us doubt ourselves. There's a reason why Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and all these, all these places are billion-dollar businesses these days. I mean, there's a reason. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm one of these people. I'm, I'm up at night a lot. So sometimes I'm catching soap net late at night. Those commercials, I mean, talk <laughs> about bullying. You know, they're targeted towards women, but I can't, I can't think of any other word other than bullying. These weight loss <laughs> commercials and all these really negative toxic messages which are telling women late at night that you're not good. You should lose weight. You've got to be sexier. You've got to be thinner. You've got to be younger. It's brutal. And we don't always realize that we're taking in these messages. Sometimes it's just like, well, I'm just sitting here watching my soap. Man, but these messages get in our heads. And then we wonder why we go to our doctors asking for an antidepressant, which, by the way, who's going to cash in off that? <laughs> so let's try to think of a different way. Let's try to exactly. think of a more sophisticated, effective way to manage depression and anxiety and doubts about ourselves. Questioning and unlearning shoulds is a major step in that way, and anyone who shows up to my workshop on Monday night is going to learn how to do that, and they're going to get really wonderful brownies made by my partner, Matt. <laughs> 
Fantastic. How can you go wrong with that? Absolutely. If you hate what you I'm know. saying, at least you'll love the brownies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a win-win situation. Talk to me about about you know I've been very intimately touched and affected by suicide in my own life and I I know firsthand and very personally how horrific it can be on those you know who are left behind and have we not been hearing for a couple of years now that this generation this round of kids right now who are in high school and college uh, that finally these are the guys who are going to break that prejudice against gay people because this is the first generation that finally doesn't care about that crap anymore the way their parents did and do I mean you know. All these suicides and all this talk of bullying, does that suggest or indicate that maybe this generation does care about that crap after all, or are these cases just kind of, I don't know, anomalies that the media have made into something bigger? At first I did think that. At first I did think these were anomalies because since, I mean, the first scientific, and I mean the scientific medical journal that came out that stated that gay and lesbian youth were were third times, third or fourth times, significantly more at risk for trying to for committing suicide or trying to commit suicide that first scientific study came out in 1991 so this is not new we've known this therapists have known this doctors have known this we know that this is something this is a red flag issue and we got to look for this but now i don't really know brandon i mean it seems like there's really a lot i mean we're almost hearing like once or twice a week and i'm just scratching my head going what the what is really happening? Is this because the media is really covering it? We have Facebook, so we know about it now. Or, I mean, is there really something else going on? I, it's it's confusing to me because I would like to think that in this day and age where there's so much information out there, I know that, that having access to information on um, the the Internet and having communities online and, and having knowing people on Facebook and meeting you online, I mean, these are all things that have enhanced and improved my life. Sure. And I thought the kids today were just like totally, totally into that. I thought it was actually making people's lives better. It's hard for me to understand exactly how or why someone – I would just don't exactly get it, like how someone with so much information – I mean, it, the days where you would be in rural parts of the United States thinking, I'm a freak and I'm the only one who has these feelings, those are gone because it's all over the Internet and, and the te- you know movies and television. They all have gay characters, so it's not like anyone can grow up thinking, I'm the only one who's ever felt this way. I will tell you this, and, and I'm dead serious. People laugh sometimes when I say this, but one of the things that helped me get through as a child, one of the things that helped me was soap operas, was Julie Williams on Days of Our Lives. And I got a chance to tell Susan Hayes this. But there was something that the soaps offered back in the 70s and 80s and the 60s. They showed these heroines going through the worst, possible things anybody could ever go through. So, you know, Julie Williams had been divorced and she had been raped and she had been burned in a fire and she had miscarried and all these horrible things. Yet she never, ever stopped trying. She never gave up. She never said, oh, poor me, I'm going to go kill myself. There was something implicit in watching these characters go through hell year after year after year and seeing them come back stronger than ever. And I'm telling you, Brandon, for real, that seeped into my mind as a child. There was a part of my brain, and I remember just thinking, if Julie can get through this, then I can too. And, it's, and I, soaps offered that. I don't really know if they're presenting these kinds of messages anymore. I, I don't I really know if they are. 
I'd be really open to hearing it. People think that, that soaps do, but I, I really think that it, I grew up in a time when soaps were conducive to mental wellness and mental health. I, I don't think the shows today in the last 10 years are offering those kinds of messages to young people. And I could be wrong, and people can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I don't know if, if people look at Greenlee Smythe and think the same thing. I don't know if people look at Nicole Walker and on Days of Our Lives and, and have that same experience, and maybe they do. But the soaps have always offered, and now it's so sad there's only six of them, this sort of this saying that the story goes on. No matter how bad things get, the story goes on, and you can fight, and you can stay, and you can make it better. That got into my mind as a kid. I don't know today how or if gay and lesbian youth are getting messages, and I don't know how exactly they're deciding to make the decision of ending their life. I do know that they cannot make such a drastic choice without somewhere in their minds having the should that I should be dead because I'm not normal. Exactly. And that part needs to change, like, right now. You know? That's what I'm standing up against. Last month, I had uh, the great actor David Selby in here, and we were talking. He's in, he's in, he's in this new movie, The Social Network, oh. and uh, we were talking about Facebook and you know the internet and and uh, you know all of that stuff during our conversation. And you know what I was telling him was, in some ways, I think that uh, you know the internet is fabulous, as you said, and and part of the reason is I've met people like you, like you said, and you know people. People all over the world have written to me because of this show right here that we're talking on right now. And, you know, I think it's been a great thing. But in some ways, I think that we are more isolated than ever because of stuff like Facebook and, you know, the instant access to everything that the Internet gives us. And so I think that in some funny way, if you're lonely, you become more lonely because of that. And if you're isolated, you become more isolated because of that. And if you're despondent, you become more despondent because of that. Is that fair or no? It is a double-edged sword, and again, it's a little confusing for me because as long as I've been online, I've, I've really been able to use it to think like, wow, this is so cool. I mean, exactly. this is going back to, to, I didn't really ever get online until about 1999, and one of the first things I found was John Reiner's columns, a TV guide online at the time, and the way he talked about soaps. And he interviewed soap stars, and he wrote these wonderfully, really smart, wonderful reviews about soaps. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God. I thought I was the only, you know, 30-year-old fag who loves soaps and was enamored of soaps. But, but, you know, there's John Reiner. And I started going on boards and started reading some of these soap websites. I was like, oh, my God. There's actually people out there like me, women and men, who just have the same ideas about soaps. And some love them and some hate them and some just use the boards to complain. But it's like, wow, I'm not the only one. I wasn't the only one, the only boy in the 1970s growing up, like watching soaps and and watching them all day in the summertime and and thinking I was the only one. No, Roger Newcomb and John Reiner were doing the same thing. And now I know Brandon was doing it too. Yes, sir. (laughs) Damn right. So it's like, to me, that's such a cool thing. I love that. And it's it's I think the internet is is kind of like everything else. It's what you make of it. If you exactly. use it to build community and to spread positivity, you're gonna get that back. If you use it to kind of to project how you're so different from everybody, and if you use it to spread negativity and hate, you're gonna feel that too. And it's magnified by a hundred because on on places like Facebook, everybody can see it. Yeah, I mean, I know that that in that way. 
the Internet's a double-edged sword because you can use it to bully. I mean, because there's so much that's public now, people can say cruel things about Damon no matter what, and if I don't have a thick skin, it's going to get to me. And I'm kind of glad that this Internet stuff didn't come along until later and I didn't start doing these public things until later because, you know, you have to have a thick skin to sort of be public and to deal with the hatred. Now, to be fair, it's rare that I get it. It's probably like 1% of the time that I read something or see something that's really toxic and negative specifically about me. But you know what? That's part of free speech. And I'm glad that I didn't venture out. I'm glad I didn't have the Internet and I didn't do this kind of stuff in my 20s because I don't think I had the kind of thick skin. Certainly didn't when I was a teenager. Oh, my God. So I don't know. I mean, you're right. It's a double-edged sword. Um, I'd like to think teenagers are more adaptable and that they kind of know right from the get-go that the Internet is a place where you might read rumors and lies about you, but maybe not. I mean, maybe that's part of what is happening that's causing so many people to do these drastic things. What do you think? You know, I um, I, honestly, I don't know what to think anymore. I really don't. (laughs) I mean, you know, there are so many... I, I, there's so much madness on both sides of it that it's it's hard to know. It's hard to form a definite opinion. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I just know I'd never be able to do. Well, I don't know if I'd never be able to do, but I just doing work for a sew magazine never seemed to be the course. I didn't even consider it because of Roger Newcomb and We Love Soaps and the Internet and these opportunities that I've had on various websites. It's really just and, and with Jamie Giddens and Daytime Confidential, and it feels like it's it's a community and. You know, I've gotten to do these interviews. I mean, Nicholas Walker, Susan Hayes, <laughs> Catherine Hayes, Bill Hayes. <laughs> you know, I mean, Patsy Pease. What? I mean, like, I'm like sitting there going, oh, my, who am I? How did this happen? I can't, you know, and I really, really have the Internet to thanks for the opportunity that Absolutely. I get to do these people who have inspired and helped me in my life. And oh, I get gosh. to do these interviews with them. And Colleen Singh, for God's sake, my God. It's just it's it's these people have helped me get through hard times and to be able to interview them and kind of bring to light their spirit, their resilience and their intelligence and get to make that public in a way that so magazines choose not to do. Um, that's just like I have nothing but gratitude and great things to say about the internet on that level. No question. So you know Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you wanna you wanna weigh in with a caller? Yeah. This is area code 727, and they were on the line before I even called in. So let's see what we have to say here. Area code 727, you're on the line with Damon Jacobs. Hi, Damon. It's Miko from uh, Facebook. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Oh, my God. I actually get to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about Facebook. It's like, you know, you see people's pictures, and exactly. you know, we've communicated, but to actually get to hear your voice, it's wonderful. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I just wanted to um, weigh in on what you were talking about. Um, you know that you know stuff I've been going through because I've yeah. messaged you a lot on Facebook, and uh, I just wanted to thank you for the advice you've given me, and you know you talking to me because it, it really did help. Because you know I've been through so much, and you know I was one of those kids was suicidal and, you know, has low self-esteem and didn't have anybody to turn to except for my mom. And, you know, it's just, it's great when you have somebody else that you can talk to and have feedback. So I wanted to thank you for that. 
Amigo, thank you. That means so much. And and I want to thank you because you, you've trusted me, and I know I'm slow sometimes returning your emails, but, yeah. you know, I mean, we're in this together. And when we're in environments, whatever that environment is, where people are feeding us toxic messages or saying you can't or you shouldn't, this is where we need to band together and help each other to say, wait a minute, you are wrong. You are wrong. You don't know. You're not God, and you don't know. Yeah. And it's hard, and I know how hard it is. Yeah. It's right. I also know you are one tough, resilient cookie. <laughs> Thank you. You are. <laughs> I try to be. It, it does get tough, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, because... Uh, going through college and, you know, trying to get out of here, out of Florida, it's just, it's, it's, it's taking one step at a time, but I am trying to get there. So, I mean, I pray every day that I get there and then I can finally get out of here and, you know, get on with my life. You know I mean, because I've been under so much stress and been so unhappy for so long. You know, I just want that that chance to have a different life. I hear you. And when you do have that different life, you're going to appreciate it so much more than someone else who hasn't had to work so hard to get it. You're going to yeah. value it. It's going to be so your victory is going to be so much sweeter because you have worked so hard and you have been so patient and suffered to get where you are. You're going to honor yeah. it. When th- yeah. when things come easy to people, they don't always appreciate it or value it. Yeah, and I don't true. think that will ever be the case with you. Thank you. Yeah. But I'll let another caller call in, but I just wanted to call in and, and thank you. So. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. your kind words, truly. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. You know, all it takes is one person to listen sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Truly. And again, one of the... I mean, one of the reasons why I do these soap interviews, aside from just being a, a soap fan, is because every, almost every interview I do has a message in it. And if you're reading them, they always have a message about how to get through adversity. Um, and, and that's also why I love the Internet and love doing what I'm doing, is to be able to not just talk about my shoulds and, and what I think, but almost all of the actors that I have interviewed and the, produ- the writers have really important lessons. And, you know, soap actors are, I mean, I worship them, but, you know, in that industry, they're not always given the respect they deserve. And they've had to learn how to survive. They've had to learn, they've had to learn themselves as professionals how to overcome adversity in order to still stay in the game when they're working their asses off in a field where they're not given the financial appreciation they deserve and the professional appreciation they deserve. Um, they've had to survive, they've had to cope, and they've had to adapt. And when I can bring those skills to light in one of these interviews, um, that to me is just, like, that is meaningful. Sure. You know, I'm sure in your line of work you come across a a wide spectrum of experiences and people, including gay people. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you hearing as you speak to gay youth? I mean, what are they saying about life, about their parents, about the world they're living in? What, What do you hear? Oh, well, gosh, that's such a great question because the last year, I'm just trying to think, the last year I haven't really been working with younger people. Uh, I've been in private practice and kind of had a a slightly skewing older, I mean 30s, 40s, 50s clientele. Um, I was working with younger gay people at the clinic I was at until October of last year. 
Um, and it's rough. I mean, it is rough. It, it's also rough, you know, for, for some of them when you've got on top of that a drug and alcohol problem early on. Sure. Um, I mean, this is the thing that the media doesn't talk about. So it covers the suicidal stuff. What it doesn't always talk about is the passive suicidal things that gays and lesbians do at all ages to harm themselves. Substance abuse is so rampant in our community at all ages. And then quite often with substance abuse, you get HIV. That sometimes go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So now you've got social stigma. Now you've got a drug and alcohol problem and more social stigma for that. Now you've got HIV and more social stigma for that. Financial problems, emotional problems. So when you consider how resilient someone has to be to get through day to day with all of these issues, it's pretty amazing that more people don't fold under the pressure. But this is often what I do see in my practice, and this is what I'm blessed to be able to be part of, is to help people and support those that are coping with multiple, multiple issues such as this. And again, try to use their cognitive tools, their minds, to navigate the challenges that come along with these issues. Excellent. And I love it. I mean, people say, Don't, isn't your job hard? No. I mean, it's not like easy, but it's, I love it. You know, I, I, you know it, yeah. it's clear that it, it comes shining through your voice that you love it. Yeah. We're all in this together. One of my favorite movies in the world is Brazil. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I recommend you see Brazil, 1985, Brazil, and, and anyone. There's so many messages in this movie. And one of them is just sort of like, I mean, the movie was a science fiction fantasy movie, and in the 25 years since it came out, it's turned out to be more prophetic than I think the producers ever thought it was going to be. A lot of things that they predicted in this fantasy movie have actually come true. Um, but it was just sort of like how human spirit triumphs over really harsh, oppressive systems. And again, it's all told with a science fiction slant. Um, and I'm not a big science fiction fan, but I just love Brazil because this idea wow. is, you know what, we're all in this together. Absolutely. We're all in this together, and when someone hurts themselves in a public way through suicide or a private way through drug and alcohol abuse, it affects all of us. It's not just this isolated person doing this somewhere. We're all impacted by this. Our pal Joanne in the chat room is asking what your specialty is. You're, you are a licensed marriage therapist, yes? I'm a, okay, so my, my license is licensed marriage family therapy. The ironic okay. thing is that's very little of what I actually do. <laughs> um, I, I, what I that's always the way it works. I know. What I actually do, I mean, what I sometimes will say is a relationship therapist because that sort of makes more sense. But I've worked a lot more, I guess you could say, my, I mean, in addictions, um, in HIV-related issues, gay-lesbian-related issues, coming-out issues, um, couples that are in non-traditional arrangements, and you can interpret that any way you want, but a lot of couples um, are sometimes have arrangements and agreements that fall outside the traditional monogamous one-on-one -on -one person arrangements that got you know, and a lot of times they need support and they need a counselor who understands that kind of stuff. Um, who can help them with the agreement that's right for them. It may not be right for anybody else, but it's right for them. So I do specialize working with couples in non-traditional arrangements. Um, okay. Caretaking fatigue for people who have had to be a caretaker for another person, a parent or a child who sometimes has a lot of guilt and shame around feeling, uh, an array of feelings that come up around that. Um, I, I work with that as well. 
And if people want to learn more about me and you know, possibly come visit me at my private practice in the Flatiron District in, in New York, um, they can visit me at shouldlist.com. That's S-H-O-U-L-D-L-E-S-S.com. Um, there's info in there about my private practice and how to contact me. And also just a blog, even if you're not in the area and you want to, gee, I wonder what Damon's yammering about these days. Um, you know, I always <laughs> give tips and tools there for, for ways that we, and again, me, I'm included in this, that we can all manage our lives with more peace. Um, I had a big thing up there um, about feelings are not facts because so oftentimes people think just because I feel something, it's a fact. And and I, I mean, it's kind of like, again, relevant to the whole gay suicide thing because when you're in that place, you feel, you really, Same really way. feel like it's never going to get better. And that's not a fact. Your feelings are not facts. Listen, even if you're not in that place, even if you're just madly in love, feelings are not facts. Yeah. Oh, my God. It it can apply to the happy experiences as well. That's right. I mean, just because you think... Just because you just because you are feeling love for someone, it doesn't mean this is this relationship is going to last forever. Sorry to be cynical, exactly. but it's true. And you know, sometimes just because you are not feeling love for somebody, it doesn't mean that they're not feeling love for you. I mean, my my thing is like when I'm on that subway platform trying to get home, I feel like I'm never going to get home. That subway's <laughs> never going to get there. I'm never going to get home. But what are the facts? The facts are, eventually, there's a train that's going to get there. It may take two minutes, it may take 20 minutes, it may take an hour, but eventually, there's going to be a train and I'm going to get somewhere. But I feel like it's never going to get there when I'm tired and I'm hungry and I want to go home. (laughs) So feelings are not facts. And unfortunately, there are times that people make decisions about what to do based on their feelings versus the facts. That's a problem. So people go to my blog at shouldlist.com, they'll get handy little upbeat tips. I'm sort of being sarcastic, but upbeat tips about um, you know, ways that we can all manage life and have an easier time dealing with this stuff. And also your book as well. Your book can be bought from there, can it not? It sure can. There's a link to the Amazon website. Um, or if people can come to the workshop Monday night at the center at 208 West 13th Street, Manhattan, I will have signed books for sale there. So people can get a signed autographed copy. It may not mean much now, but when Oprah calls, you bet how much you can get on eBay for that thing. <laughs> well, Joanne reports from the chat room that, that uh, whenever she gets into a relationship or ever gets married, that you will be on her speed dial. So. Oh, God. <laughs> Give me a call. You know, so the next book that I'm working on, and I say this kind of like because I've been working on it for a very long time and it's kind of been backburnered for other things, but I am working specifically on a book that's related to relationships and shoulds because so many times people, and I have done this too, sabotage relationships, potential relationships or current relationships because of shoulds that we carry about another person. And the thing about shoulds about another person is that you might be right and you might get everybody, all your friends and all your family to say, damn, yes, you are right, you know, but that doesn't mean that person's going to change. That doesn't mean they're going to do anything differently. And there are actually more effective ways to work cooperatively with another person in a relationship that can impact them in a way that they actually want to change, not because they should, but because it's in the service of uh, the context of a relationship. Exactly. And if more people knew that, if less people did shoulds, 
and more people actually practice that. I mean, just uh, so I'll give an example, and Matt doesn't mind me talking about this, but um, a couple <laughs> years ago, big election. Now we have a big election coming up this Tuesday too, and I hope everyone is going to vote. But two years ago, it was a major, major, major election, and you know I'm a very political person, and I was raised in a political family, and I grew up and carry this should that everybody should vote. Now it does. I don't have to. They don't have to vote the way I vote, but everybody should vote. That was the should that I was raised with. And um, in the last election, Matt announced to me that he wasn't going to vote, and he had reasons that were right for him. But I really gave him hell for that. And I noticed it's like I'm suddenly making him this this villain. I'm sort of like holding him accountable for the downfall of civilization because he won't vote. And I'm like, geez, what am I doing? You know, the reality is he's not going to vote. That's the way it is. And my shoulds about voting aren't going to make him more likely to want to vote. <laughs> and, in fact, the shoulds, if I kept them up, could really do damage to an otherwise great relationship. So sometimes we have to choose whether we want to be right or we want to be happy. This is Byron exactly. Katie's saying. Byron Katie's an <laughs> author I love. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And if you are keeping your mind on that in relationships, you'll know the right thing to do. Exactly. You know, I don't know how you knew what my next question was going to be, but you segued right into it. I was going to ask you if you were a political person and if you paid a lot of attention to what's going on in terms of this country's politics. Oh, yes and no, and yes and no. And, <laughs> and here, so I just said I'm a political person, and then I said no. Um, well, here's what I've noticed now in my nearly 40 years on this earth. <laughs> the pendulum keeps swinging. It swings. And and what's kind of alarming to me is how fast it's swung in these past two years. But, you know, from someone who, who grew up in the groovy 70s with the Carter administration, um, you know, to see how things changed under the Reagan administration and, and the Bushes, you know, and then sort of had, you know, saw things somewhat change in the 90s, you know, or at least appear to change. And I say appear because... Uh -huh. You know, but I think the 90s seemed to be a more tolerant and, accept, you know, with a Democratic president, Bill Clinton getting blowjobs everywhere, it just seemed to be slightly <laughs> a more tolerant time. And, and uh, there was more funding for drug and alcohol program, programs, and there was more funding for people that had been disenfranchised in poverty in this country. And it swung right back. It swung so far back under the Bushes. I mean, under, you know, Bush Jr., so when things swung back the other way two years ago, I thought, cool, we're back into one of these groovy periods where for eight years we're going to be like, hey, cool, let's exactly. help each other. Well, it seems like the pendulum's swinging fast now. People are impatient. People are angry. People are reacting very quickly. Um, and I don't think they're making a lot of decisions. I think they're making decisions based on their feelings. Again, exactly. feelings are not exactly. facts. A lot of people feel like Obama is doing a really poor job. And it's okay to feel like Obama's doing a poor job, but I ask people to do that based on facts and not just because they feel impatient or they feel uneasy. You know, I would you couldn't get me to trade jobs with that man for anything. <laughs> I, I wouldn't trade a, a lunch with Robin Strasser for that, you know, and I'd trade that for a lot. Um, I, that He has the hardest job and probably the hardest job that any president has had. He inherited a toxic, nasty mess. 
And he, I think, my perspective, <laughs> uh-oh, we're going to get in trouble now because we're talking politics. But um, I think he's done the very best he could with the mess he's been given. There's many things that I wish he was doing differently, but I still think that he's, he's getting us to a better place. Well, a lot of people don't agree with me on this, and now they're reacting. And exactly. I, I think that that's, ugh, we're getting into a dangerous realm. Not to get really dramatic here, but we've got to remember certain lessons in history. And the Third Reich and Hitler's reign in, in Germany in the 1930s and his quick rise to power, I think we just need to remember that. I'm not saying that's happening here, but we need to remember that people glommed onto that because they were so reactive, they were so frustrated, they were so angry, and they kind of reacted to something which led to saying it's okay to hurt and to kill other people. It's okay to do that. That took time. That psychology took time. People didn't, you know, Hitler didn't just start killing people right away. He had like a decade to build up those thoughts in people. And when I hear some of this Tea Party stuff, I get a little uncomfortable. So, you know, I just think we need to not react so quickly, and I think we need to be thoughtful with our vote. I really do. So, yes. <laughs> do I follow politics? <laughs> I guess I do. Um, but I don't worry, you know, but the flip side is like, I, the reason I said no earlier is because I don't preoccupy myself with it. Okay. You know, I do vote and I do have a voice, but I'm not going to lose sleep over the Tea Party. I'm not going to lose sleep over Sarah Palin. A lot of people probably think I should, quote unquote. <laughs> a lot of people probably think I should be scared. I refuse to be scared, even if you Sarah know, Palin and the Tea Parties take over and want to kill me. I'm not going to give them the power of my fear. I'm going to be in a What do you make of her, though? I mean, is this idiot woman really crazy enough to think that. She can actually run for president and win. I mean, does she I really believe? I wouldn't have thought so, but I mean, how did she get to be the candidate for vice president last time? <laughs> I mean, come on. I I'm I'm be... convinced that it was that it was darts hurled at a dartboard. <laughs> but you know, I mean, we know better now. She's 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 transparent. We know her limitations. We knew that really early on. If people still want to reward. That with with power, my God, I don't know. I don't know. What I know is like I have a choice. Now this is getting into one of my philosophies, not just my philosophy, but in any situation, Brandon, and this is relevant for kids that are being bullied right now. In any situation, in any circumstance we're in, we still the one thing they can't take from us is our choice to be at peace our choice to be happy. That doesn't mean we're sitting around in bliss every single day. But they can take away your rights. They can take away your power. They can take away a lot. What they can't do is change your thinking. That's you. That's up to me. That's up to you. Victor Fra and, and this whole thing that I'm talking about comes from the Holocaust, comes from Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is one of my favorite books in the world. Because he wrote, he survived the Holocaust, and he talked about in this wonderful book about how no matter what circumstances you're in, the last choice that we get to make is how we perceive the situation. Now, if this guy could do it in the midst of a Holocaust, in the midst of losing his rights, his family, in the midst of being beaten and tortured, if he could still find ways to use the power of his thinking to navigate the situation, then I think I can deal with my crappy job. 
<laughs> Not that I have a crappy job right now. But, you know, it's like I, I use that to remind myself. It's like I'm bitching about the subway being late. <laughs> you know, I mean, and Nelson Mandela said the very same thing in his book Long mm-hmm. Walk to Freedom about being in a prison for 28 years. Mm-hmm. And Tina Turner said a very similar thing about being in an abusive marriage for decades. And I, Tina, the choices that we can make with our thoughts, that they cannot take away from us. Whoa, am I on my soapbox tonight? <laughs> See what you've created here. No, it's good stuff, though. Just uh, please tell me that I'm not the only one who thinks it's nuts and very alarming that it is now considered, at least in some circles, a political asset to be dumb, to be not well-read, to be clueless. Uh, well, I don't think that's recent. I mean, this is the country that, you know, loved Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle had fights with a fictional character. Yeah, but he was he was uh, I think he was something of an anomaly of a of an exception to the rule. Now it seems to be the rule. Well, we had eight years of Bush. He's dumb as a doornail. Never hit it. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, he didn't. Especially in the 2004 election, he was pretty transparent. Everybody knew what they were getting, and they elected him anyway. I don't know, Brandon. I mean, I think that the the dumbing down of of our society. I talked to Lane Davies about that during our interview. If you go to welovesoaps.net, you can see our interview with Lane Davies. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, there seems to be something in that direction when you look at culturally what's being held. But at the same time, we're able to have these kinds of discussions, and we're not the only ones having them. Exactly. There's there's podcasts. There's there's people on the internet on podcasts, and even on the message boards having really intelligent, thoughtful discussions about soaps, but also about politics and about relationships and about gay suicide. And and there's YouTube, so people can put their message out there for better or for worse. But you know, there's there's Dan Savage. It gets better. And again, I know I'm critical of it, but I still think it's a good thing. And I think it's a great thing that he can use the power of YouTube to convey this message and that so many other people are are conveying thoughtful, intelligent messages to youth about, come on, think about this. Just think about this. So, you know, I don't know. I think there's always been a time or there's always been a people who don't use their cognitive tools as frequently, usually because they haven't been taught. I don't know. What you mean specifically around Sarah Palin? Uh well, I mean Sarah Palin, Christine O'Donnell, this idiot woman in Delaware, uh, you know, you live in a state where your state has seen quite a comical, hotly contested gubernatorial race. I mean, you've got this maniac Palladino and his flagrantly homophobic, completely asinine ag- uh, uh agenda. I mean, I just I I wonder what you make of all of this. I choose not to make much of it because, honestly, if I do, it's like a horror show. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, seriously, now this is my responsibility. I have no – I feel like I, I could perceive myself as really having no impact or having very little impact to affect any of that other than voting, using my vote to express my voice. Besides that, I will not watch CNN. I will not watch what they call the news, my local news, not because I don't want to know what's going on, but because I don't really think most of the time they're conveying news. You know, there's so often, there's there's local politicians all over the country who are serving, who are openly gay, openly lesbian, who are intelligent, who are doing wonderful things, and these are not typically the people we hear about. You hear about Ron Odin hotel room, and you hear about, yeah. Yeah, Ron Odin is in um he was the mayor of Palm Springs. He was the first openly gay black mayor in this country. 
and he won, I think, back in 2001, I think it was 2001 or 2002. And he served, and he did a wonderful, wonderful job. Have you ever heard of him? No. No, most people haven't, because he's an incredibly thoughtful, intelligent, inspirational man, and he's alive. And we tend to only revere and publicize people who die. So what I, the reason I'm saying that is because I, I think there's a lot of politicians and I think there are a lot of activists out there that are doing important things. Maybe they're doing it a little more under the scenes, under the surface. They may not be getting accolades and they may not be getting a lot of attention and power. But Ron Odin is just such an amazing man who – and now he's not mayor anymore and he's like going to Haiti all the time and like helping the people and digging ditches and it's like – Where's the news about him? We don't hear about him because he's exactly. doing good stuff. The media, quote-unquote CNN news, and I'm making quotation marks as I'm saying news, <laughs> they won't talk about him. But that, to me, is news. That's the kind of news I want to know about. You know, when I'm sitting in the room with a client who's suicidal and they decide not to do it, they decide, no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to fight, I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to do everything I can to turn this around and make my life better. That, to me, is front-page news. But that you're not going to see on CNN. If they walk out of my office and blow their brains out, yeah, you may hear about that. But they're not going to report the miracles that are taking place every single day all around us. So do I follow the news? No, because it's not telling me the news that I want to hear. It's not telling me the news that I think is actually valuable for me to know. I mean, I keep informed and I know what's going on, but I don't focus on it. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. Because it's like it's a nightmare. It's like I might as well just torture myself. I might as well just you know stay up all night because it's a nightmare and it's scary. And I will stay up all night worrying if I expose myself to that. <laughs> so I had a feeling I was opening up a can of worms when I when we started that whole discussion. Yes, thank you, think, Brandon. <laughs> You're so I'm happy good. to close that one and walk away from it. You're so good. You know, you really the are. last time you were here, you had just started doing interviews for, for the uh, Marlena De La Croix website, and now you're a huge star over at We Love Soaps. Tell me how much you love the work you're doing over there. It's uh, Like I said, I mean, it's, I'm so humbled by a privilege, and it is a privilege, and I don't ever forget that. I'm not a huge fan of transcribing these interviews, i got to say, <laughs> but it's like, how That's why I don't am do I? It. I get to listen to Susan Hayes in my headphones over and over and over mm-hmm. and type her words and bring her insights to light for everyone to read. This person who helped me stay alive, I get to now expose to 10,000 readers. Great. That's an honor. That's a privilege. And a whole new generation I, of fans yeah. who may not even know who she is. Right. Oh, please tell me that's not true. <laughs> you know, or who may not know history. how significant she is based on you know what they've seen of her on days. Oh, she's still making You know, on August 18th this year, I don't... I don't think she's the only person to have ever have done this on daytime, but she did. I think she was the first person on daytime to ever appear on two shows on the same day in pivotal court scenes. So she was on Days of Our Lives as Julie during Hope's pivotal court scene, and then she was on Young and the Restless as Joanna during a pivotal court scene on that show as well, on the same exact day. I think it was August 18th or 19th. Um, this woman's just incredible. She's just, just incredible. So if people don't know that, oh, my God. <laughs> so it's an honor. It's a privilege. I don't take it for granted. I'll tell you that. So let's do Soap Star Word Association. Okay. Tell, oh, tell, me, the first thing that, tell me the first thing that pops in your head. 
<laughs> okay. Are you ready? Yep. More West. Fabulous. <laughs> she is. Has she, she not is. made a seamless transition to YNR? She is so cool. You know, I, I mean, it's still just been remember seamless. her. Her first day as Carly on As the World Turns, the show was not doing well back then, and she just rocked. And then she left, and I was like, oh, this show sucks. They can't even hold on to this wonderful actress. I didn't realize we didn't have – I didn't understand why she was leaving at the time. I think she just took time off to have a kid, and then she came back. Um, she's, she's cool. I've never met her. I've never interviewed her. I want to. I hope to. Um, but I, I think she's got a lot going on in that head of hers, and I think that really shows on screen. And again, she just portrays Carly um, when she, you know, when World Turns was on as this. I think Carly is one of these heroines that will go down in history as overcoming the worst situations anybody could ever co- overcome, and still going and going and going. And she never gave up, and she never just said, "Oh, poor me, I'm going to commit suicide." Um, she dealt. I mean, sometimes she dealt with her problems badly, but she never gave up. <laughs> and I hope we'll get to see that as Diane on Young and the Restless over time. I think so far it's been fabulous. I mean, the, the, there's a danger that it may become a little one note, but I think she's smart enough and talented enough to, to transcend that. Yeah, you know, I, like many people, really just kind of wish that they had created a new character for her. Yeah. You know, it still remains to be seen and and you know, she's going to make it, she's going to make gold out of anything, but you know, I think uh, fans like me have a certain image of Diane and a certain mm-hmm. idea and memory of her and you know, so fans are we remember our history and it's it's <laughs> I, I just I, I think it's really exciting when they take the time to create a new energy, a new player on the canvas for an established actor. And it was a little disappointing to me that they didn't do that with her. But they're running the show and I'm not. <laughs> they're the number one so for a reason and I clearly don't know why that is. So, you know, they're, they know what they're doing, I don't. You know, you mentioned that you'd never met her. Roger is in the chat room right now and he wants to remind you that you asked her a question in the Emmy press room. That I did. Yes, I did. I can't remember what it was right now, but I did ask her a question in the Emmy room. And and but I I feel like we have not actually met and talked and you know chatted and I haven't made yeah, her cry. Exactly. You know that's that's sort of becoming my inadvertent claim to fame is making people cry during my interviews. And I'm really not trying to be the Barbara Walters of interviewers. <laughs> so um, you know, but sometimes it happens. So I've not made Maura West cry. So okay, we'll we'll see. The future is 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 bright. Sean Young. Oh, dear. (laughs) You know, uh, it's hard to separate because I don't, and this is public, you know, this has been on E! and her true Hollywood story. She's not, Mm -hmm. she's not always a really well woman. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that, that I, one of the downfalls of being such a public figure um, and having your e-true Hollywood story out there is that people know things about you and about your functioning. Um, I, I don't... I, I, this is where I may just step back because I don't really have anything positive to say. Um, you know, I, I, I don't wish harm on anyone and I don't wish harm on Young and the Restless. Um, I think they have such an array of talent already on contract of people that have been on contract for many, many years. And I just wish they would, 
focus more on tap into their resources that they already have um, versus bringing people in who may not be able to function as well on a soap. Um, you know, it's I couldn't do it. It's hard, hard work. I mean, you know, a lot of movie actors have even said, even James Franco said, um, you know, it's like doing a soap is really, really hard. And if you're used to movies where you get rehearsals and you get downtime and you get to relax and do takes, doing a soap is, is can be abrupt. So let's talk about somebody else. <laughs> Kim Zimmer. Fabulous. Oh. <laughs> Oh, what? So she, okay, so she's one of the people in my life that has helped me. And the way Reva, I didn't really know her as Echo on One Life to Live before. Um, Reva is one of these characters that have helped me get through hard times in my life. Just one of these, like, what would Reva Shane do? She would never let someone mess with her. She would never back down from a fight. She oh, would right. never let someone say, you know, go away. She fought. She stood. She fought back. She held her ground. And there are times in my life when I have drawn upon that energy to get through situations that I've had to deal with. <laughs> so Kim Zimmer is just a force. And, you know, that's, some of that's the writing, but that is the spirit of Zimmer. She is phenomenal. She is talent. Um, I, I'm glad she's on One Life. Um, you know, I interviewed her a couple months ago, and she really didn't think any soaps would ever want a woman over 50. She didn't think mm-hmm. this was the – so I, I'm really pleased that One Life is taking advantage of her um, and her talent and her spirit. And I, I hope they don't change their minds as they frequently have been doing the last couple of years. You know, I tell you, I, she did a little press tour when she first came back, and I got a chance to speak with her for about seven or eight minutes. And, and you know, it was clear how much fun she was having and how much she truly appreciated the gift of this job, because you know when, I mean when you are as accomplished as she is, I mean the woman's won four Emmys and she's a superstar. I mean she's she's one of the five people that you know without ever knowing you know the soap that she's been on or, or you just know her and and you know it, I mean it's 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 clear that this this year of unemployment was very humbling to her and that she is thrilled and very appreciative to have this job again. Yes, and I love how outspoken she is. She just says her mind. And that's dangerous. I mean, that is dangerous no matter what jobs we're in. It's dangerous to be that honest, and it's dangerous to say things that could be offensive. Exactly. And uh, especially if you're a woman over 50 in this business, um, it's really dangerous to speak your mind. But she does it. But anyway. you got to love it. you got to love her for it. I do, and I respect her for it. And, again, I take inspiration from her for doing that. You know, I had my doubts when she first came back because she was a little over the top and the writing was a little all over the place because they weren't really sure about each other. Kim wasn't sure about the writers, and I don't think they were sure about her. But I watched her yesterday, and she was phenomenal yesterday. And I think she's really – she's slowly getting a handle again on Echo and on this character and on what they want her to do. And, and uh, you know, I won't give any spoilers, but I think it's pretty clear where the story's headed, and I think, it's, I think she's going to knock it out of the park. She is just so cool. Susan Flannery. Oh. Uh. Respect, respect, dignified, articulate, activist. She is such an activist, and she's so dignified and has so much integrity with what she does on screen and what she does off screen. She is just such an example of who I want to be as I grow up. (laughs) Phenomenal. Her acting gets better and better year after year after year. Um, but she's also been, and I didn't really understand the extent of this until I did an interview with her, how active she's been in working with unions and making sure actors get paid what they deserve. And 
she's even said she, she's still, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. But she has been so outspoken, even back, I think, in the 70s and 80s, about actors getting residuals, about getting paid what they're worth, um, about um, the actors on Bold and the Beautiful still getting residuals when the show is playing overseas. You know, these companies, not one in particular, but they'll screw actors over any which way if they can. <laughs> and she's been so dignified about how she stood up against that. Um, I just, uh, you know, as someone who is politically active and, and thinks of himself as a part-time activist, that's inspiring. She's amazing. And what do you think of this whole cancer storyline? I mean, is, is she really leaving, or is it all just a no. big fake-out like it was? You aren't my words. I honestly, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any facts. I don't think she's leaving. Um, no, I, I think they're, they're really, I, I think they're brilliantly telling a story in a way they haven't done before. Um, you know, this is a soap. I mean, you know, Felicia on Bold and the Beautiful had cancer and, you know, got a, mm-hmm. to- a toenail away from dying a few years back. Um, you know, I, and I don't think that the Bells are ever going to give up Susan Flannery willingly. I think they know what she brings to that show. Um, you know, I think this is a chance for her to perhaps get some more downtime, and I'm not sure where the story's going other than, you know, I think they're they're using this as a catalyst to tell some really important social messages. Um, and Bold and the Beautiful can be really great about doing this kind of stuff when they want to, and they can be really not great about doing this stuff when they don't want to. Um, they do a few, you know, more than a few shows a year, but, you know, they, they kind of have their Emmy ticket every year. They know that if they tell mm-hmm. powerful, realistic, gripping drama about real-life problems, um, in a way that no other show really wants to do that anymore. They'll do it, and they'll do it better than anybody else, and they'll get an Emmy for it. And a couple days later, it's back to Brooke having sex with a teenager. So, you know, but the good thing is I think they, they have a good product. I think Susan Flannery is just phenomenal. She's doing such great work in the story, and, um, but I don't see her actually leaving. Now, I could have egg all over my face six months from now, but... You tell. We'll come back and we'll talk about it. You could say. <laughs> you know, do you think? She's, I, do you think they're going to let her go? You know what? I don't. I honestly don't. And like I told Linda Dano last week, she is that show, and she has been that show for the entirety of its run. But I, I'll tell you what's great about this story, and you touched on it. Nobody has any idea how it's going to end. Right. And I mean, can you say that about any other story currently on the air? On, on Not really. Show? Not yeah. really. So that's you know, it, it's great that they that they understand that and recognize it and are taking advantage of it. Yeah, and the Bells are smart. They're a smart family. That doesn't mean I agree with everything they do, but they are a smart family, and they know the business. And Susan Flannery knows the business, and they know soap business. So I don't believe that we have seen the last of Stephanie Forster at all. I think she's going to be back to trying to strangle Brooke with phone cords and messing around with Ridge's love life in no time at all. Beth Ellers. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> again, just like, she's so awesome. Now, I haven't met her. I, I would love to meet her. Oh, my God, I would love to meet her. Um, again, just someone who takes risks. She's just like, screw you. I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, I know she got in trouble for that recently, for doing that on Joanna's show. Uh-huh. Um, and I do think that that was completely taken out of context. I mean, if you listen to the show. But, anyways, she, um, I love her spirit, Harley, again, was one of those characters that gave me hope, that often helped me, like, not take crap in my own life. Um, 
I think the the character she created as Harley is is sorely missing on on daytime today. Um, again, such a strong, powerful person who wasn't necessarily trying to find a husband or a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got to be Beth. That's got to be what she infused into that. Uh, I think she's such a talent. I wish we get to. I wish we could see her more. Um, How I do we hope, get her back? I hope we get her back on on somewhere. Um, you know, she, she lives out here, so I think the only show that that would be able to she'd be able to be on would be One Life to Live, which would be a coup in my opinion. Um, but uh, she's just awesome. She has again that Kim Zimmer like unsinkable <laughs> spirit, just like energy, power. I'm going to tell you how it is, and damn you if you don't like what you hear. Miss <laughs> Marcel, <laughs> you're picking all my favorites. <laughs> Again, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but it's like, again, Brenda Be- Brenda is, I mean, Vanessa Marcel is one of my favorite all-time soap actresses. Um, and a lot of people disagree with me on this, so it's interesting. Um, again, just the character she created, the energy she created with Brenda, just that drive, that fire, that ambition. It's not all about finding a husband. It's not all about finding a baby. It's always been more about her career, her relationships, and just trying to find a way to get through the craziness of the world that Brenda inhabits. Before it was all about mobsters and guns. Um, I mean, now, I mean, what I mean, it's like the Levine period where, yes, there were mobsters and guns, but it was sort of tempered with other things like breast cancer and children dying. Not making a good pitch for this, am I? Uh, But Brenda is just, again, one of these characters I can look to if I'm having a crappy day or I'm feeling discouraged or someone at work has messed with me and just be like, Brenda would stand up against this. I can do it too. (laughs) Brenda always spoke her mind. She stood up to Lily. She stood up to anybody, and she didn't take no crap from nobody. And how do you feel about the story? The current story. Okay, so if we're talking about current, eh, I'm sort of on the fence. I'm not wowed. I'm sad to say. I love Vanessa, and I think she's phenomenal. Um, I'm sort of just not all about the story. Um, it's not grabbing me. I'm not feeling like, wow. Um, I don't feel like I have to watch it every day. Mm-hmm. I want to. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think she, she improves the show. Um, she can only, there's certain actors and actresses that over time you see them in scenes with her and you see them in scenes not with her and they really up their game when they're exactly. in scenes with her and you they're know, compelling. What's great about her is she brings out a different side of every character she interacts with. Right. A side that we never see with anybody else that they interact with. Right. There are certain things she brings out in some of her cast members which are clearly not there when they're not in scenes with her, and got to give her props for that. you know. And once again, this is someone who off-screen is made her life so devoted to helping others, helping abused women um, through the uh, Sojourner, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's the organization she works with, and she talked about it during our interview at We Love Soaps, and um, she has made so much of her life about helping others helping young people with drug and alcohol problems, helping abused women find safety. This is not always the stuff that the soap press likes to talk about, but she's doing it, and she's making a difference out there, and she's getting in there and talking and helping. So for that, amen. 
Is it not a huge relief that One Life to Live seems to finally be picking up steam again? I mean, it was a rough summer and, and spring for that show, but, you know, if they're not quite back on track yet, it's pretty clear that they can at least see the track, and, and I think they're on the way back toward the track. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, a lot of people are really loving it these days. I'm just not. I just... I don't think guns and explosions and I think if you're doing that all the time, it really kind of loses its oomph. Um, you know, sad to say, I'm just not, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I've got to see this every day. I really want to see what's going to happen next. All right, so somebody gets falls down <laughs> and some building explodes and someone gets hurt and someone comes back from the dead and there's a mad psycho sleeping with Blair and someone kidnaps Star and the baby's in peril. And are you getting bored with this? Because I'm getting bored just saying it. Is. It's like, <laughs> you know, come on. You know, I, I tend to agree with that, but I'll tell you, that show was DOA for months on end and it finally has a little bit of a spark again and, and I'm I, for one, am excited about it. Look, I'm so thrilled. I mean, I'm so thrilled that they have been given a new lease, and I'm so thrilled that they have more time to tune, to turn this around. Um, I really admire the people that are associated with this, and as critical as I am about it, Ron is such a fabulous writer. Ron Carlevati is just, mm-hmm. he's, he's got such a brilliant mind, a creative mind, and, you know, we, we know that his dialogue and his ability to punch up dialogue in scenes is just is is unmatched right now in daytime. Um, he can do such quips, and he can do funny, and he can do dramatic, and I mean, but the show as a whole doesn't excite me. Sad to say. And you know, I think I think as an as a as a producer, Frank is very underrated in terms of the show he puts together. I mean, you know, I have issues with some of the sets and some of the lighting and some of the shadows, and but. You know, he puts together a very visually interesting show. Now, what, now I like that. I know. So tell me what, what – I like the lighting. I like how sometimes it looks like sun is going in through a window in a room. What, what don't you like about lighting? I hear a lot of people talking about that. You know, especially since they moved to the new studio back in the summer whenever they did it. Uh, mm-hmm. some, of the lighting, some of the lighting has been rough on some of these sets. The diner set looks horrible. The, uh, I don't know, land fair doesn't look great sometimes. It's – I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the speed with which they do it or if it's I don't know what the problem is but you know sometimes the lighting on that show is just oh I can't take it. Hmm. I mean I actually the thing I do think that when they do these outrageously silly kidnapping explosive women in peril storylines they they I do like what they do with the set. I mean I liked what the set designed this past week. Absolutely. You know I thought it was fascinating and you know again they're doing this on a shoestring budget so you know I think when you have people diving into ice water and you know it's like all these technical things they do I I do like and I think they're fascinating. I just don't find it as a soap fan it's not interesting. I mean it, on that level of like wow, this is going to change my life or inspire me in some way. <laughs> Beautiful sets and cool technical tricks don't turn me on. On a soap. How did, you, how did you feel about the World Turns finale? Really not good. So let's just say I thought it sucked. Um, very disappointing. Very disappointing. Very wrong on so many levels. You know, every soap that's gone off the air that I can ever remember, maybe Capital being the exception, every other soap has ended it with an event. 
either a wedding or something to get everybody together in one scene to say goodbye. Guiding Light was kind of cheesy. You know, it was nice. You got to see everybody playing in the park, and all the kids were playing in the park, and E.J. Bonilla was back from war. And, you know, it was like, it was nice. And Danny and Michelle were back, and, you know. Everybody was together, and that's how it ended. Everybody lived happily ever after, supposedly, right? As the World Turns had the perfect setup for this. You had Bob's retirement. Bob started off from the very first show. He was a central character from the first scene. And here's a man who's retiring. And it was such a, would have been such a perfect way to really tie everything up with a nice little ribbon and bow at the very end so everybody could be together. And all the scenes they did, all the goodbyes, all the little dialogue they had, Henry and Barbara dancing, you could have done all of that in the context of a retirement party for Bob. So you could have still done all of that. You could have had everybody together one more time. It could have been on a cheap-ass hospital set. It didn't really matter where it happened as long as you had that closure. And they blew it. They blew it so badly. So I can't even think of anything nice to say about it. <laughs> it sucks. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't just blown away by it, but I mean uh, that last, especially the last couple of days, had some nice moments. I mean, Luke and Noah saying goodbye was very sweet. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bob and Kim getting the getting the final scene was very nice. Yeah, I mean that was nice. That you know that those last few seconds was nice. You know. But, like, okay, so, for real, what did Eileen Fulton do that's so bad? You'd think she started the BP oil spill based on the way she got treated by that show. Really? What What? What did she do that was so bad to be, like, an under-five-day player on the very last episode? <laughs> Listen, at least she was on. Martha Byrne didn't even get that much. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. There were so many things. So many things which could have made it special. It's such a sad thing that it happened. But creatively and spiritually, there's so many ways it could have ended that would have allowed closure and kind of a finality to it. Um, in my mind, didn't happen. Not happy. No good. Even you know, Santa Barbara's crappy finale was better. You know, a couple of people have told me privately that one of the reasons that this finale didn't get the same kind of media blitz and attention that the Guiding Light finale got was that they didn't want it. I mean, for instance, you know, I, I understand that they didn't allow Michael Logan or a handful of the industry's other premier press people on set that last week. You know, I, I know it's very easy to sit back and judge, you know, completely removed from it and kind of judge the surface. But, you know, it's all very strange and, and at least on the face of it, a bit childish. Do you have any thoughts? Hey, Say what you want about Ellen Wheeler, and many people have, and many people will. But that woman loved that show. She loved it. Now, you may not agree with the choices she made about how to run it, but she loved that show, and she loved the characters, and she loved the actors, and she loved the legacy. And, and the I genre. Think, and the, and genre. the whole genre, and, and she respected the genre. Um, and I think that showed in those last six months. I mean, it always showed, but especially with the way the show ended, with Jill Hurst as the writer. Good, good, good stuff. And you saw that. I mean, we saw that at the Paley Museum with that last Guiding Light panel. We saw that in the finale. You saw the heart and the love and how hard they were trying to end it. And people may rightly so critique how Guiding Light ended, 
but you can't deny that there was heart and love behind it. I didn't feel that with As the World Turns. I didn't feel there was love behind it. I didn't feel, and I'm talking from the powers that be, we know who they are, it didn't feel like there was a sense of saying, I really want to love the show and I want to love the audience that has loved this show and I want to give them something that's going to bring them happiness in the years ahead when they think about this and when they talk about this. I didn't feel it at the Paley Museum and I sure didn't feel it in that finale. You know, I, I, I think that I think that part of it, uh, a sizable part of it, was that the show was still in, in comparatively speaking, very good shape. I mean, it was, it was still a very strong, very high-functioning show. And I think that maybe some of them felt that it should not have been taken off the air, and so they let that supersede the the I don't know the desire, the need, the necessity for giving the fans a satisfying, satisfactory, feel-good ending. I don't think that's it. I think right away. I mean, right after the show got canceled, Chris Goutman gave an interview where he said, "We're not going to do nostalgia here. We're not going to do what Getting Light did. We're not doing nostalgia." He made that clear from the get-go. Uh, we talked to Nelson Aspen, the entertainment reporter, who's also was on Search for Tomorrow and a big soap fan and just a wonderfully, wonderfully t- talented, funny, great man. We did an interview with him right after World Turns was canceled, and he referenced the public interview Goutman did. I don't remember where it was, but it was just he said, we're not going to do that. That's not, you know, we're not going out like that. And he held true to his word. <laughs> Well, and I mean, wasn't it Goutman that, now, that, that he didn't take into account fan mail or, or you know viewer response at all? I mean, no. But I, to be fair, there were some really good scenes the last few weeks. You know, a lot more Bob and Kim. A lot, you know, I mean, those last few weeks with with Reed's death and Chris's illness, and there was some really really good soap that really brought out the talents of these veterans, and you know, there there was some good stuff going on. But um, in terms of the wrap up. Ugh. Oh, God. Okay, Margo. Can we talk about Margo? Again, what did Alan Dolan do? What did she do that was so horrible? Here's this woman who, who we know from her work as Margo in the 90s with the rape storyline and the HIV storyline. We know that she is so capable of portraying Margo as strong and fearless and just this tough, determined, resilient, broad. I mean, that was her thing. And she's, like, hand-wringing about an empty house, about Adam being gone, even though she helped send him to prison. I mean, it, it just, like, it made no sense at all. None. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but when I feel down, it's not my instinct to switch houses with people. <laughs> it's just not what occurs to me to do. I don't say to my brother, hey, let's switch houses. If anything, you, you get closer better. to your house. If anything, you get closer to your house. Yeah. It was so weird. It was so bizarre. It was just wrong. (laughs) So have you checked out the talk yet? No. (laughs) And and, and honestly, I'm curious. I just haven't because I don't have any time. Um, And I don't care. I mean, if I do have time, I'm going to watch One Life to Live. Exactly. And and catch up with my shows. I don't really care about that stuff. I I enjoy The View. I enjoy ABC's The View. Um, I don't really care about the talk. If I had time, if I have a moment, I'll, I'll try to catch it because I want to see what all the hate is about. Um, it just, from what I've been reading, it just seems trite. What do you think? Have you seen it? You know, I watched the first episode just out of morbid curiosity, and, and 
you know, Christy Brinkley came on and started immediately talking about the host chemistry, like she was trying to convince everybody that she really believed that they had that they had chemistry. Uh, I don't know. It may. I mean, it, it's 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 uh, it bears noting to remember that the View had kind of a rocky start as well, so it may get there, but I don't know. It's I don't yeah, the know. View was kind of underwhelming its last uh, the first few years, but they also it didn't seem like they were trying. They didn't have to prove themselves. They were like, exactly. yeah, we're here. We're going to talk, get used to it. You know, it just sort of had this, you know, they had Debbie, what's her name on there, who was sort of the, the conflict stir in the Elizabeth Hasselbeck role, and they had uh-huh. Meredith Vieira, and they had Star Jones and Barbara, and, you know, they, they had chemistry from the start. They didn't have to tell the audience they had chemistry. Exactly. They had chemistry. And that's that's kind of the danger of doing a blatant ripoff like this, is that you, the audience comes in with so many preconceived expectations right. of what it's going to be. Right. Now that, speaking of preconceived expectations, is is also why I feel so, at the same time I'm kind of down on daytime and I'm critical of daytime, I'm very, very, very excited about some of the amazing series that we're seeing on the Internet. Um, Things that two years ago when we talked to each other, just a year and a half ago when you and I spoke on Brandon's Buzz, this wasn't even going on. But since then, there has been a plethora of creativity, some from within the daytime soap industry and some from outside the daytime soap industry, Mm -hmm. of just amazing stories that are now being told on the Internet that people can watch whenever they want to. They don't have to worry about, you know, when a network's going to schedule them, and they don't have to worry about DVRing it. But um, if I just may say, there's a show called Anyone But Me on the Internet, and Robert Townsend's show, Diary of a Single Mom, these are phenomenal stories, and they're being told in a way that really does what I think soaps used to do well, which is to get you really invested in the characters. Like, okay, here's here are these characters. I care about the characters. Now let's see what happens. <laughs> Versus, this is why you should watch, yeah. because we're going <laughs> to kidnap a baby this week, and someone's going <laughs> to die. And if they don't die, there's going to be a tornado that's going to put everybody's <laughs> life in danger. You know, they don't have to explain why what you're going to get as a viewer. You just get attached to these people, and then you're along for the ride. I think The Bay is working to do that as well. I think Gregory Martin's show, The Bay, with Mary Beth Evans and mm-hmm. Matt Ashford and you know all these wonderful soap people that we've loved, Lane Davies, Nicholas Coster, um, you know, just these phenomenal talents that are being brought back together. I interviewed Lily Milgar today, um, and I can't wait to post that because she has a lot of wonderful things to say. These, you know, I haven't watched the Bay yet, but what a magnificent cast! My oh, God, can you imagine a better cast? Jackie Zeman, I love Jackie Zeman, <laughs> and she has joined the cast. Eileen Kristen, does it get better than this? Well, it could if they added Patsy Pease. I don't know if they're ever going to do it. I'm putting that out in the universe. <laughs> but I mean, again, these Charles Shagnessy, I mean, Real Real Andrews, so many, just incredible people who have so much talent and none of these people's talents are being appreciated by the networks. So instead, Gregory Martin is getting them together to do this compelling and fascinating long-term story on the Internet. And this is why I'm really hopeful as a soap fan because there's so much going on that's possible to do now that we couldn't have done even two or three years ago. And how how long-term is this long-term story? I mean, uh, how how far do they have this plotted out, do you know? I don't really know, but I know Gregory has a master plan. <laughs> I don't know how long the plan goes, but he definitely has. I mean, the shows that you're seeing now, the first five episodes that have aired so far, 
there's there's a plan. I mean, he really has an arc for each and every one of these characters. He knows where they're going. He knows where they've been, and he's having fun unfolding that for us viewers. And again, how long has it been since we've seen people telling stories who are really, really enjoying it? Like, really, really just enjoying it. And doing it for exactly that reason. Yeah, doing it for You know the they're not doing it for it. money. Right. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> we hope that they will be. We hope that they're the Exactly, but you know right now they are not doing it for money. It's purely no. for the love of the game. Right. I mean, Martha Burns, Gotham, you know, again, just someone who loves the genre, wants to work Crystal Chappelle with Venice, and I think Crystal has found a way to make money off of this. I, I don't know exactly how profitable Venice has been, but, um, you know, the idea of charging subscriptions, mm-hmm. it's controversial, but that might be what people might have to do. I hope not. I hope that's not what happens. I hope all these shows remain free and accessible to anybody. But if it's a choice between paying for them and not having them at all, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't know. It's a different, it's a new world, and it's mm-hmm. exciting to see where it's going. For sure. Yeah, you know, you know what I loved about about Gotham was the way Martha Byrne really reached back and pulled in people like Lisa Peluso and Melanie Smith. I mean, people who hadn't been around in years. Margaret Reed, exactly. How much do we Damn love right. Margaret Reed. I love Margaret Reed. Margaret Reed and I actually went to the same college, and I found out later that's actually where Ken Corday went. Now, this was not all at the same time, obviously, but uh, we all went to Santa Cruz, uh, UC Santa Cruz. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Ken Corday and I lived at the same dorm. Porter College. Oh, that I did okay. not know until I interviewed him. <laughs> That's way tangential, but anyway. <laughs> but I mean, that, this is why I'm hopeful as a soap fan because I see this work going on. I I watch Diary of a Mad, uh, not uh, um, Diary of a Single Mom, and it's like I do want. I can't wait to see what happens next. I have to see the show every week. It's about eight to ten minutes every week, and I have to see what happens to these characters. It's been so long since I have felt that about a daytime show. Probably Claire Levine's writing for General Hospital in the 90s was the last time I really had that I have to see what's going to happen next feeling. I have to see what's going to happen next. Wow. You know where you race home to watch your VCR because you can't wait to see what's going to (laughs) happen? It's been so long, and um, but I get that now with with Diary of a Single Mom and Anyone But Me in the Bay. It's it's just great. Well, I tell you what, I have had such a fun time speaking with you. I want to remind everybody one more time why we're speaking. Monday is the third annual Give Up Your Shoulds Day, and just tell everybody quickly what's going on that day. There are several things happening in conjunction with this this uh, this special celebration. Tell me what's going on. Absolutely. So what I'm asking people to do on Facebook and Twitter is to think about, for one day, are you willing to give up a should to have more peace and more happiness and more freedom? Just to try it for one day. So let's say you give up, I should lose weight. Just for one day. I should, you know, maybe making more money. Just for one day. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do anything differently. You may still decide to eat nutritious. You still may decide to go to the gym, but you get to do that or not do that based on a place of not having a should about it. So if you do go to the gym, you decide to do that without the should. I'm asking people for one day just to try it, just to try it, and then tell me what that's like. I'm asking people to do Twitter updates and to do their Facebook statuses to tell people one should that they're willing to give up for one day. 
Also, at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time here on Blog Talk Radio, I'm doing a show with Jackie Zeman, Bobby Spencer from General Hospital, and we're going to host a show together about the benefits of letting go of shoulds in your life because she has done a lot of work on this and I have done a lot of work on this. And, you know, we're just going to talk about and take phone calls from people about the benefits and all the wonderful, blissful advantages of letting go of shoulds in day-to-day life. Um, That's at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. In addition, people will be able to hear this podcast on Brandon's Buzz. I've done a few other shows and a few other things that people can go to welovesoaps.net or shouldless.com to learn about. And at 8 o'clock that night, for those in the New York area, I hope to see you at the Gay Lesbian Center at 208 West 13th Street. It's a free workshop, free brownies from Matt, and you just may learn something that's going to save your life. So how can you lose? Fantastic. Do you have the website on the on the on the podcast with Jackie? The oh, actually, I or do. is it easy, is it easy to find on on Blog Talk Radio or? It is. Wait, I will. You know what? I'm going to send it to you because I can okay. tell you dot dot dots, but I will send it to well, you. Send it um, to me, and then I will post it on my website, and I will try to draw people to it. That's awesome. You know, Jackie is so generous. And again, one of these people who people think they know her because of what they see as Bobby Spencer, or they think they know things about her, which they don't. What they don't always understand is this woman has devoted her life towards helping others, towards raising money for charities. Um, She has been honored by so many organizations for her hard work. She is conscientiously and devotedly making a difference on this earth for people. And I hope that she she's pretty humble about that, and I hope she does talk about that during our our show on 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 Monday. Um, she did mention that in a recent interview I did with her that's on We Love Soaps TV, and that was actually a videotaped interview I did with her at at the Bay at a function for the Bay. Um, so people will get a chance to hear that and hear how she's been able to incorporate less shoulds into her life to be able to live happier. That's all we're trying to do. And talk about somebody whose God-given talent has been misused and abused and completely ill-treated. Absolutely. She's been, I mean, she knows, and I've said this, you know, I think she gets treated like the scum on, you know, Sonny Corinthos' shoe. (laughs) And that's ridiculous. And it's so sad. And Leslie Charleston is the same way. And these are women who are so talented and have cultivated their artistry. They're probably even better now than they were 15, 20 years ago. They're being wasted. They're not being used. Absolutely. So, yes, we are going to be talking about living shouldless, making a difference, and I encourage anyone to tune into that and to to listen to it, to call in, or to to listen to it later on if they don't get a chance to do it. Well, I tell you what, I will be tuning in, and I I want you to know this has been the greatest thrill speaking to you again. We, you know, it's been like I don't know, 15 months or something since we've done this, so we need to make the the gap between this one and the next one a little bit shorter. But I, would I love like speaking that. with you as always. You know, I adore you. I respect. You know, Brandon. Again, one of the great things about this internet is is doing this, but we also get to watch each other and witness each other. And I have witnessed you just get so much more comfortable in your skin as an interviewer, um, and really asking amazing questions. When I when I listen to an interview with Linda Dano, I'm like, that's what I would have asked her. I'm like, wow, this guy is like, you know it, you've got it, and you know how to appeal to people's strengths and their intellects and their spirit. And you're tapping into that, and I think that's one of the reasons why 
these actors we admire and, and the singers that you interview, Taylor Dane, this is why they love you and they come back. Because Meatloaf, you, for crying out loud. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Nia Peoples. I mean, all these, like, really, really great folks. And I love seeing you get better and better and better and better and being able to witness that and hear you, um, you know, and not like you were ever not good, but just I, it's neat to see our colleagues continue to develop their craft and get sharper at it. And I'm, I, I enjoy that, that too. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I wish you the best of luck with third annual Give Up Your Shoulds Day. And like I said, I'll be listening to the, the podcast again. It's what, 2 p.m. Eastern? 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Are you going to give up a should that day? Uh, you know what? I am. I'm not going to tell you until Monday, but okay. I have to. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir, for giving me an hour and a half of your Saturday night. I'm sure that I'm sure that you had better things to do, but I'm glad you Never. decided to spend with me instead. I'm really a nerd. I have no life. So. <laughs> no, this is wonderful. I love talking with you, Brandon. This is certainly a valuable. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity. Likewise, sir. Thank you. The fantastic Damon L. Jacobs, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for October 30th, 2010. Uh, I've had a couple of special Saturday shows this coming Tuesday. I'm back on Tuesdays, and I've got a great guest Tuesday night, Sherry Anderson, the former head writer of Days of Our Lives. She's writing a series of novelizations based on former Days characters, John and Marlena, Shane and Kim, uh, Sean and Bill, et cetera, et cetera. And she's coming by the Buzz Tuesday night to talk about the first book, which drops November 9th. Uh, it's called A Secret in Salem, and uh, it's a great read. I've read part of it, and I tell you what, this is a fascinating lady, and it's a really great show. Again, Tuesday night, back to regular time, 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. here in Texas on Brandon's Buzz with the great Sherry Anderson. That's on Tuesday, November 2nd. Uh, if you're listening, you already know how to find the show, but in case you don't, three places online, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That is home base for this show. Uh, you can listen to the show from there. You can download previous episodes from the show from there. You can uh, leave comments. You can send emails. It really is mission control for Brandon's Buzz. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. Uh, you can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There at the top of any page, add Brandon's Buzz as a blue button marked radio. You click that. That takes you to a full radio archive of every episode of this show. This is episode number 71. This and all previous 70 are available for listen and playback at the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. I'm also on iTunes, guys. I'm on iTunes. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box, scroll down to the podcast section, click on my logo. From there, you can uh, uh, download previous episodes of the show for playback on the device of your choosing, or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the store. So I am all over the Internet. I'm on Facebook. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Twitter. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction, I promise you. And as always, I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind, so spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show. And you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check hey it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so if you feel that you just can't take it, 
And your world isn't what it seems Don't forget that life can be what you make it Baby, when you live on a street of dreams Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> 